Hi, I'm Darren Wright. And I'm Tim Beadle. Welcome to Disciple Making. Welcome to Disciple Making, another episode of uh, this weekly podcast. Uh, I'm Tim Beadle with my friend Darren Ride, and we're committed disciple makers, uh, followers of Jesus who make disciples and make disciples. Uh, we've been working in these past episodes through a book in the way by um, Damien Gerke. The church as we know it can be a discipling movement again, and we're going to uh, do a bit of review led by Darren, and then we're going to break some new ground. There might be a little... Uh, touchier controversial uh, for some people today. So why don't you take it away? Uh, sure. Dan. Yeah, we, we finished off the chapter on what the church does. We talk about ministry goals and methods and strategies and metrics and, and application, uh, the structure of congregation versus small groups. So now we're turning the page, and this, this corresponds with chapter seven in the book, and it's how the church is led and developed. And it covers things like leadership and how we measure maturity, we talk about the equipping gifts and the management approach. And so it gets down to some brass tacks. And, and right in the book, Tim, Damien mentions, he says, the function and development of leadership in a disciple-making movement is vastly different than that in a cocky, church-as-we-know-it model, making yeah. this series of contrasts perhaps the most challenging to compare. And, and I would say that it's, it's, it's also maybe a little challenging to understand because we're talking about two different things here. When we talk about, you know, um, leadership in one and versus leadership the other, it's completely different. And so we're looking at four contrasts, but we're going to start and we're going to park today, I think, on this whole issue of leadership, whereas in churches we know it, the standard is professional paid clergy and a disciple-making movement, certainly when we go globally and even in North America, are led primarily by bivocational leaders who may have no pay coming from the church, but have other jobs. And so that's that's the basic leadership structure. And so, you know, let me just say out of the gate that Legacy Church doesn't require full-time vocational pastors. Disciple-making movements doesn't require bivocational, but that's just the way it begins to sort out and it begins to kind of sift the way leadership happens. What's your, why is this a challenging topic, Tim? What, what makes it inherently challenging to us? This is going to force us to change. <laughs> I, I think, you know, we're so used to uh, not only doing what we've always done and therefore getting the results of uh, what we experience, but uh, to be honest with you, Darren, we've never really been exposed to anything else. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you know, when kids might go to Bible college or come out and they, they go through the denominational process of you know, becoming licensed and then applying in, in a church, uh, they have their mindset on a position based in a uh, preset um, structure that's based on organization, uh, not so much the organism of the church, whereas bivocational is much more flexible and fluid, mm. and, and, and therefore uh, there are more options of, of how it can be uh, not only experienced, but also uh, encountered with those who are in the movement. But, you know, to, to be a leader basically is, is to show influence. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I wonder how many people, uh, you know, COVID did challenge people like, like more clergy left the ministry during COVID than any other time that I can remember. Mm -hmm. you know, they're burnt out. 
or they're fried out or, or they just got turned away or turned off because they weren't able to keep the organizational structure going. Uh, and therefore they realized uh, I'm going to find another job, another source of income, another profession. And it showed um, perhaps some of the weaknesses of this model of just professional clergy who are the only ones who seem to be leading our churches. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's it's in the best of times, Tim, pastoring a church is hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like it is it is a difficult uh, I'm going to use the word, you know, calling, but it's a difficult gig from a from a work standpoint. Being a lead pastor in a church is is very difficult to do it well in a larger church. Requires a certain multi uh, set of gifts yep. uh, to function well: the preaching, teaching, the leading, all you know, all of that kind of stuff. And but really, we need to put on the lens of disciple making and say, right. how does it impact disciple making? Because that's the purpose. And a, a few things that that you know come to mind both in the book and from my reflecting is. You know, vocational clergy, it's it's expensive. Like like if our baseline is that we need to pay someone full time, all of a sudden it's very expensive to have a quote ministry in diverse locations. Yeah, you know, in, in terms of uh salary benefits, uh usually it's two thirds of a of a church's budget is on those mm. things right there. So because that's our basic expense, we put a sense of importance and and I would I've been a uh, pastor over 30 years and it is tough work but that doesn't mean it's the right type of work Hmm. Uh, if we aren't getting from all this investment of money and structure and training uh, if disciple making isn't occurring uh, then we need to go back to the drawing board don't we (laughs) oh absolutely you know the other challenge with a with a professional model is it inherently creates a hierarchy yeah. Whether we want there to be or not. And, and it becomes because there's this paid person who we, we would just say, you know what, pastors and elder, elders are pastors. But, you know, yeah. the paid lead pastor is different than the rest of the elders. Yeah. And so there's this hierarchical structure that can be a hindrance to disciple making. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if those who are at the uh, top of the pyramid aren't living a lifestyle uh, where disciples are being made and making other disciples. I've said many times before, if you aren't living it, you can't lead it. Mm. And to be honest with you, those who are in professional leadership, uh, clergy being paid, spend so much of their time keeping the organization going and the parishioners happy that they aren't actually able to do the the primary role that Jesus called us to. And um, uh, this past week, uh, our pastor was, was speaking about calling and God's plan for our lives, you know, based on Matthew 4, when he calls mm. us to follow him. And uh, the thing that I noticed in that passage is that when Jesus called uh, the disciples, they, they, left, they left their nets and followed him immediately. Mm. And, uh, and he said this, he said, um, delayed obedience is disobedience. Hmm. Uh, And so when you let that sink in, um, you know, every Hmm. professional clergy, myself included, we have the same call that Jesus gave those first disciples to drop everything and make disciples and make disciples. And when we put it off because we're busy running the church, um, that actually is a form of disobedience because we're we're saying, well, we we were Jesus, but first we have to go and do this. And we know about that parable. I have to go to this, uh, bury my 
father and go and attend to these animals. But, but uh, that's one of the downfalls of professional clergy is that because of the hierarchy, we get shackled to the system. Well, man, Tim, you're, I don't know, I'm a little bit offended by that. <laughs> <laughs> because you, you've kind of uh, implicated about 30 years of my life there. Yeah. Uh, and you're right, where we can get so caught up in, quote, doing the work of the church. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sunday's always common, a sermon needs preaching, all of that, that we get sidetracked from the mission yeah. of, of right. making disciples and, and, you know, and, and, being, and training people to reach other people. And it's so easy and it's what we're in a way. It's what we're paid for, and and I just feel for pastors. It's like being tied between two racehorses, right? The demands of the church <laughs> and the right. call to be a disciple and make disciples, and they're unfortunately rarely aligned. No, well, well, let me say two things. First of all, what would happen if pastors were paid to make disciples and make disciples? Hmm. Okay, uh, just let that sink in for a little bit. And then you know, in, in past episodes, you know, when we've talked about. Uh, you know, the Great Commission to go into the world. And, and we talk about the, the, the baptism element. But then Jesus said, uh, teaching people to obey everything that I've commanded. Hmm. So, so there's that uh, an obedience. Like when I talk to my kids and grandkids, more my grandkids in these days, and I say something, I expect them to obey. Sometimes it's for their own good, not just for my hmm. pleasure. And, and I expect them to, to do that immediately uh, hmm. because I have something better for them in mind. And if they delay the uh, obedience, then, then they are really being disobedient and coming full circle, uh, being pulled in two directions by, by these, uh, that's just painful, that's painful imagery between these two horses pulling you in different directions. Uh, the, the, there's going to come a time, I think, and this is why we do this podcast, because mm. we have this holy discontent that something is broken in the status quo of the church today. Mm. And, and part of it is the model. I, I would never say don't pay your pastors, but could we, in fact, pay the pastors based on the metrics of what Jesus has called the pastor to lead us in? Uh, which is, uh, you know, you can say the, the great commandments and the great commission, whatever you want. But could those be the metrics that we would actually uh, use to have the annual uh, salary evaluation of the pastor? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's an interesting thought experiment, isn't it? <laughs> if that was the metric, because immediately I think of being in a, in a regular pastoral role, if that was the metric, if that was what I was evaluated by, on and ultimately paid on, I'd be in the church a lot less. Yeah. Exactly. I'd be doing a lot less one to many in yeah. a large scale. I'd be out there a lot more and I wouldn't be um, looking as much like a pastor yeah. as, as I would historically have looked in that sense. Yeah. So, so, so going back to this, you know, what is another alternative? And when we talk about like a bivocational model, uh, what, what, what has been your experience? Cause obviously uh, I know many pastors, they they just aren't in the world. They're just running around running the church. Uh, they don't have any relationships with non-Christians. They probably feel guilty because they never really talk responsibly to their neighbors. They're just so busy and they run ragged because ministry never ends in the church. But this other model of a bivocational leader, uh, how does that look and feel? Because I think you've experienced that, uh, Darren. Yeah, I've been effectively bivocational for uh you know, over a decade, really, my transitional ministry, even prior to that, has been 
I, I've never been full-time paid in the church. Now I've, I've had subcontracts and approached close to full-time, but I've done, you know, professional speaking and online marketing and, you know, writing and selling some books and things like that. And, you know, immediately there's some challenges for sure. Let's be, let's be honest. It's more secure and yeah. probably more lucrative over the long term to be paid a salary. Sure it is. It's very difficult to replace a salary with piecemeal contract work or even, you know, generating online income apart from, you know, the professional speaking side of things was, was good for that. Uh, so, so there's that challenge. But what happens is all of a sudden you have some time and energy margin. Yeah. I, I would say, especially if you are not preaching every single Sunday, that's to me, that's the, the crux of the matter in a lot of cases. That Sunday event shapes our facility, shapes our ministry, shapes our energy, shapes our prep time. By taking that speaking event out, I have so much more energy to meet with people, to develop disciple-making content, to do things like this. Um, And it does push you a little bit more towards the faith end of the spectrum (laughs) as opposed to the security end of the spectrum. But ultimately, Tim, I've had far more time with non-church people in a bivocational context than in a regular pastoral vocational context. Yeah. In, a, in a full-time pastoral role, the church people, which includes sometimes seekers, the church people really dominate your time. Yeah. And I think uh, in terms of when people know that you're the pastor, that there's certain uh, expectations that they place on you in terms of how you will serve them. And it does, it sucks the life out of you in a good way because you are loving them along. Uh, but in terms of being outside, I've, ne- I've never been in bivocational, but have rubbed shoulders with many. However, I'm on a large staff now and I'm not uh, now preaching as much as I was in the past year because we have a new mm. pastor. And I'm finding uh, I, I'm way more in touch with people uh, coming and going uh, in the community. I've, uh, you know, was into to uh, uh, create partnership with the, uh, neighborhood uh, junior high principal like three days ago and I, I'm doing that regularly I, I'm intensely getting out to meet people outside of the church building I, I use my association with the church as a uh, framework and a reference point but it just allows me to sit down and get to know people for who they are and vice versa Be- People like making friends with people if you're nice and and uh, you aren't trying to sell anything you just again, just getting into the life of people and realizing that they probably sometimes have a more balanced lifestyle than we do. And therefore Mm. bivocational uh, where there isn't as much security and you have to deal with that, obviously, but if God's called us, he'll provide, Mm. but uh, it it is a refreshing change for sure. Yeah. Like like it's, yeah, for me, it's been, it's more sustainable to be sure. Uh, You know, in in my 10 years or plus now of transitional ministry slash bivocational stuff, and certainly my last two years of, of half my time being given to this, this alternative church, 12 church, it, it, I haven't come even remotely close to burnout. No, <laughs> you no. know, I was in one really intense transitional situation that was pretty tough, uh, you know, but it was less than full time. And so I had this extra margin anyway. You know, I, I think, Tim, one of the other challenges I do want to raise as we talk about the challenge of a professional versus a bivocational is the time and money and energy to prepare for a vocational ministry position. Yeah. Okay. Versus the time and energy to actually equip someone to be a disciple maker. Yeah. The one is measured in years. Yeah. And the other one in disciple making movements is actually measured in days. <laughs> like it, it's a completely to actually equip someone who is on track, who is 
immediately obeying to lead a simple discovery Bible study uh, and, and be engaged in the supplementing process is instantaneous. And here's the thing, Tim, here's, I just want to be careful. I say this. I didn't know how to do that after graduating from Bible school. Yeah. yeah. No, nor I. They, they don't teach you that. I didn't know how to make disciple. I didn't even know what a disciple was, Tim, until I'd been out of Bible school for about a decade. And since then, I've been wrestling through how do we actually make disciples? And, you know, the the, the legacy church model is an educational model, yeah. which can inject training, but a disciple-making model is a training apprenticeship model. And that's the and difference. That's, yeah. that's the difference. Yeah. And I think an apprenticeship model is easier if you're bivocational because you actually have more in common with the people you're discipling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now, it would be easy for those who are listening and, uh, like myself, uh, professional clergy, to say, okay, so where do I go from here? Do I mm. resign? Because that's not going to happen, let's be honest. But but how do you wean yourself into having maybe the mindset of a bivocational leader, even if you are still paid professionally full-time? Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, I, I, I like the, there's a quote at the beginning of this uh, section. Uh, as for the future, our task is not to foresee it, but to enable it. And hmm. so we're, we're trying to enable something that the Lord has called us uh, into and commissioned us with him. Um, but so I don't like people when they give us good ideas and, and, hmm. and they don't build bridges between where we are and where we need to go. So yeah. I guess that's what, I, what I'm putting before you right now, Darren, is because yeah. um, most people in ministry still are full-time professional clergy or that's their main bread and butter. Uh, yeah. So what are, what are the actual practical takeaways so that so that there is a level of relevancy in what we're saying. Yeah, but I would say even though our contrast we're looking at here is paid clergy versus bivo, in a way it's raising an option that that might be might be something to consider. But I'd say take a step back and say, a, am I committed to being a disciple that makes disciples? Yep. Have I accepted the Great Commission as my mission? That's step one, regardless of what our vocational role is. Yep. Once the answer is yes, we say, okay, Lord, how can I best do this? Yep. And I still believe a paid pastor and a regular church can accomplish a lot, though we need to recognize there's systemic and structural things that make it difficult. But the Lord may lead you, as he's led many of us, to move away from full-time vocational you know, ministry towards different kinds of models. And it's really a matter of saying, Lord, how do you want me to engage in this disciple-making mission? I'm open to Bivo. I'm open to full-time professional. What do you want me to do? What's the best way? And just be committed to that and take the next step he shows you. That's what I would say. So so I hope our listeners heard that, first of all, we have to consider the function, Hmm. um, the why of what Jesus has entrusted us and called us into. And then then the form. The form always follows the function in terms of uh, the how and the what's and the when. uh, How are we going to live this out? Uh, It's no excuse to ignore that. Hmm. We're simply, well, we're just trying to do good work and things like that. And once in a while, someone might have a faith experience, but then they leave the church after a while because they aren't just like, when we get to heaven, I think the Lord's going to say, what were you guys doing down there to my church? Because it, it wasn't structured like for the most part. Uh, and, I, and I use this term very, very um, intentionally, but respectfully. Uh, you know, is the church really just a Christian club where people mm-hmm. are giving their money? They they expect the the paid leaders to do the majority of the work, 
and uh, to feed them spiritually. And uh, that is not the biblical model of, of what the whole disciple making call and model that Jesus showed us uh, is all about. Yeah. And I think, uh, think in terms of the umbrella image, Tim, yeah. if, if we're in vocational ministry, sometimes our ministry and our identity is that umbrella. And underneath that umbrella, things like, you know, preaching and teaching, doing church and disciple making is one little segment underneath that. Yeah, no. We need the umbrella needs to be disciple making. Yeah. And and then we need to then align the things underneath that to that end. And, and that will lead us in some unusual places. Like I said, it's led many to bivocational ministry. But I just want to call people back to the basic calling. I don't want to be overly, overly prescriptive because the Lord does lead people uniquely. Um, but I would mention one resource. I think it was Hugh Halter wrote a book called simply called Bivo. Okay. That's the name of the book. And it's about bivocational ministry and was, it's one of the most honest uh, looks at bivocational ministry from a practical standpoint that I've come across. Yeah. 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 Uh, were there any other salient points you wanted to share before we uh, close off today, Darren? Uh, I would just say that, that uh, it's very hard to, challenge our assumptions. Uh, we're, 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 we're fish in the water and the fish never discovers water, right? Yeah. We're, we're swimming in this, in this way of doing church. And we just, because it's the structure and the system, it's very hard to see alternatives. And we need to somehow, for me, it was stepping out of pastoral ministry for a while. It really helped. We've got to somehow take a step back and say, okay, is this, is what I'm doing the best way to make disciples? Yeah. How can I more closely align to the call of Jesus for all believers and for me? And then be willing to follow that, you know, take up our cross daily and follow him. And there's risk in that. There's, there's uh, some, I can testify, gut churning decisions along the way, but that's the call. Yeah. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, you know, to yeah, follow yeah. Jesus in obedience. So that's, that's the call. I'm not calling people out of vocational ministry and into Bible. I just want to call people to, to, to commit to joining Jesus on mission and yeah. going wherever that leads them. Yeah, and anything as I've observed your life the last couple of years, and we've only met once physically. Yeah, uh, but you know, I, I I follow you on Facebook. I, I read some of your stuff and pray pray for you and just enjoy engaging uh, as we do this from time to time as well. Is that that uh, you're, you're living this and uh, in a non traditional sort of setting? I'm trying to live it within uh, a more a legacy environment, and mm -hmm. and I'm quite frustrated to be honest with you, uh, most of the time, because it, it, it's it, it's just trying to change something that is so ingrained mm -hmm. in, in just the fabric of people's minds and hearts. Uh, but you never give up because yeah. it's the Holy Spirit's work who is calling people to see the bigger picture and and to uh, sort of release those things that maybe bind their their hearts or find their hands full of things that are pettiness mm. compared to this, this wonderful adventure that Jesus has called us to, to, to follow him. And uh, I, I, I just pray that uh, we would never become complacent mm. or just uh, settle on a certain uh, sort of status quo of just being secure in our faith in terms of employment. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and ignoring the call of Jesus to mm. go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them and identifying with the Father, Son, and Spirit, and, and then teaching and then training them 
to do likewise. And uh, yeah. they, they, they become full circle. And whether it's through professional clergy or bivocational leadership, um, we have to make a choice, but the choice is to follow Christ. Amen. And it's a posture of humility. You know, we're very upfront that we are, you know, one of our kind of taglines or slogans is we're trying to figure out how to be disciples and make disciples in this time and place. Yeah. And I just invite others onto that journey. Yeah, that's a good place to, to end today. So thanks for joining us, friends. For this edition, Darren Ride, uh, my friend, and uh, I'm Tim Beadle. We'll catch you along the way next time. May God bless you richly. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to imakedisciples.com or christfollowerdna.com. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.